Welcome to the World of Emotions and the Emotion-Focused Podcast, a series all about emotions, how they work for us, how seemingly sometimes they don't work for us, and how we might understand that and perhaps be able to do something about it. I'm Lou Cooper. I'm based in Nam in Melbourne, Australia. And in this series, I'm joined by people from around the globe who have dedicated a big chunk of their professional lives to the exploration of emotions. Everything you hear on this series is informed by emotion theory and emotion-focused therapy. I'm sure many of you listening have had the experience of uh, difficulties or difficult times or difficult experiences that keep coming back. You think you've solved it. You've done a lot of therapy. You've done a lot of work on yourself. You've thought about it a lot. You've done all sorts of things. And yet you find yourself in situations where the same difficult feeling arises the same difficult situations maybe arise, whether it's in relation to yourself or in relation to other people. And that's what we're going to be talking about in this episode. It's still painful. I'm joined in this episode by Axel Inger-Sinding, who is a psychologist and director of the Institute of Psychological Counseling in Oslo in Norway, the IPR. Axel is a supervisor and facilitator in emotion-focused therapy and in emotion-focused skills training and has written several books for the general public about emotion-focused therapy. These books are in Norwegian and the titles translate as Wise on Emotions, Self-Critical, and did I say something wrong? I particularly like that last title, Axel. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. And I know that we have a lot of listeners on this podcast in Norway. So before we do anything else, can you tell me what the titles of those books are in Norwegian? Yeah, the titles are, uh, the first one is Klok på Følelser, and the other one, Self-Critical. That's, that seems about the same. It's Selkritisk. And the last one is Saya Noa Fail, which is a book uh, on empathy. Did I say something wrong? Did I say something wrong? And I know that these books, they're very popular, aren't they? Yeah, they are. It's, uh, it's, uh, they've become some uh, sort of bestsellers. That's really cool to see that the public are so interested in stuff about emotions and emotion-focused therapy. It's quite popular in Norway. It's great. We need to have them in English. <laughs> yeah, I, I want to get, especially the one about self-criticism, I want to get that translated into English as soon as possible. Oh, you never know. Someone hearing this might go, oh, I can help you with that. Anyhow, let's get back to Still Painful, which is what we said we would talk about. Yeah. And I'm I'm wondering, as I describe that, this pain that is still there, the difficulty that is still there, we thought we'd got over it. We thought we'd dealt with it. What's going on? What are we talking about here, Axel? Absolutely. I think we all have different emotional patterns in our lives. And most of us seems to have some kind of emotional experiences that happen again and again and again. When something happens in our lives that is difficult or painful, 
we get into a state that we've been a lot of times before, like, for example, feeling small or worthless or alone or scared or anxious. It's almost like a, a bad uninvited friend that comes again and again and again and sort of take over the way we're feeling at the moment. And I guess sometimes it can just feel like, ugh, it just feels bad. Yeah, I just feel bad. And I think the first step is maybe getting a little bit curious and notice that this is happening, that we have some state that seemed to recur, that, that it happens again and again, and start investigating it a little, a little bit. Because often these kind of emotional states are almost like gateways to learn important things about ourselves, And there are often like signals that something emotional, some, some painful emotional thing is going on or has been going on in our lives as a trigger. Can we rewind a little bit, Axel, to how this happened in the first place? How did it get that way? How did that emotion get there in the first place? I mean, obviously, we can't talk about everyone's individual experience, but in broad terms, how does this happen? Definitely, yeah. Well, emotions, when we feel something, that isn't just something you feel right then or right now, and then it goes away, and then you go on. Uh, emotions are inextricably linked with memory. So when you feel something strongly, you tend to remember it. This information gets stored in your body and in your experience. Can we pause there just for a moment? Because yeah. a lot of people will say, I don't have many memories of my childhood. or I don't have many memories of that time apart from my first day at school or apart from when my dog died or something like that. And you're saying that that is because it's an emotional experience rather than anything else? Yeah, well, when we talk about memories, it's not just explicit memories. It's not just episodes, like things you can remember. Of course, we all have episodic memories as well. Like when I think back in my life, I can remember some good memories, like holding my daughter for the first time, my wedding scene, my wife coming, hopefully. Thank God that was a good memory, though. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I can also remember painful things that have happened to me, things people have said to me, feelings of being alone. But we also have implicit memory or tacit knowledge. Our bodies seem to remember a lot of things when it comes to emotions. So when you say implicit memory or tacit knowledge, you're saying that there's a memory that we don't have words for or we don't remember what happened exactly and this is kind of a, a vital point actually in working with emotions and our experience that first of all we're organisms that move around in the world and we, we take in a lot of information and we try to adapt and then we also have thoughts and words and languages and this came a lot later evolutionary than the ability to experience the world. So we use our thoughts and words to make meaning of what we experience, but we experience a lot more things than we put words to in a way. So in a way, you know a lot more than you think. We have all this kind of information about life that is implicit tacit knowledge in our experience. Like for example, when you grew up, you behaved differently to your mother and your father, but you didn't knew that you did it. It's knowledge that your body has and helps you adapt. So you go around with a lot of 
silent knowledge about how to behave and what to expect in everyday life that you have never put words to. So it, this is kind of an interesting phenomenon because that basically means that you have a lot of information and a lot of knowledge and a lot of expectations about life and people and how you are in the world that your body uses and your organism uses, but it's almost like it's not available to you as information before you put words to it. But when we ask people, what do you remember? People go, tend to go to their thoughts, like what do I remember in words? Like what scenes do I see? What? So my basic message here is that you know more than you think. Mm, that's a nice message to hear. We all know more than we think. Yeah. So that's uh, what I think as, as a therapist, for example, I, I've stopped believing that it's my task to learn my clients new things. It's almost my task is primarily to put words to something they already know. Yeah, that's very reassuring to hear, I think, from your therapist to know that your therapist isn't actually trying to teach you something but kind of has has the belief or the confidence in the fact that you know they're just there to help you find out what it is that the knowledge that you have that you may not be aware of. Absolutely. Our bodies know what we've been through. They know what we feel. And our bodies know what we need at a deep level. But until we put words to it, it's kind of hard to make sense of it all in a way. So how do these emotions or how does this this knowledge or this emotional knowledge, this emotional experience lead to us finding ourselves in this repetition of difficulties or painful experience? Yeah. When we experience something, when we feel like, for example, say that you're a child growing up in a home with an abusive, violent father, then you would become scared, right? You would become afraid and this this fear is actually adaptive and it will organize your entire organism in order to prevent danger and get safety as much as you can so this child will be on the lookout for signals of danger it will notice like how is my father entering the room how is he walking how does he look in his face how is his voice like when he calls my name how does he take the door handle even when he gets in this emotion is adaptive and and i think that this child doesn't won't put all words to this. It just, it's just the organism of the child that adapts and becomes afraid and adapts to the environment in a way. So it kind of absorbs that information. Absolutely, and tries to become as safe as possible. And that's basically what we do as organisms. We try to get more of the good and less of the bad in a way. So this is an adaptive emotion. It's useful to be afraid in that situation when you're in danger. Yeah. But this is also stored as information in your body. It stays there. Like you carry this with you. If, if you're never safe, then you carry this with you and you learn a lot of things. Like, for example, the world is not safe or I can't get comfort or no one will save me. No one will help me. Or this is dangerous. Like these and these and these things are signs of incoming, impending danger. And when this child grows up and later, for example, is at work and hears his boss suddenly talking with a very brisk voice or, or even grasping the door handle on the, in the meeting room really hard and, and you get back there, then that emotional information will get 
activated once again. Your body will basically say, it's happening again. Be aware, it's dangerous. But the adult that you're talking about here isn't necessarily aware of what's happening here, of this association. Exactly. It would morally be like just a strange, like, oh, why am I getting so scared right now? So it's almost like the, the body, the organism, the implicit memory we talked about just a, minute, a few minutes ago, they know that like something is really dangerous right now. You have to prepare, you have to activate the body and you, the body start feeling the way it did back then, but just in present time instead. Then we can say that it's not an adaptive emotion anymore. It's a maladaptive emotion because it's not in a way in sync with what's going on. And I think we all go around carrying with us these maladaptive emotions or emotional states that at one time helped us and were suitable and needed, but aren't needed anymore, but we still feel it that way. And mostly I would say we don't even feel the old painful emotion. We feel other emotions instead that are reactions to those painful emotions. Again, like secondary emotions. You probably covered this on your podcast before where we have primary emotions, which are like our gut responses, the first original emotional reactions. And we have secondary emotions, which are more emotional reactions to what, to your primary emotion. Again, like what you're feeling about what you're feeling in a way. And those kind of emotions are typically like anxiety, depression, hopelessness, feeling empty, getting furious, like having an intense rage, like for example, say that your partner suddenly lets you down you get an intense rage or a lot of anxiety or or you're alone at home and suddenly you get an intense fear that your partner is out there leaving you and you get jealous for example so all these kind of secondary emotions are most those are the emotions people feel i would guess in most of these situations so the secondary emotions are a reaction to another emotion that's happening underneath. In these exactly. examples that you've used, Axel, they're examples where it's kind of understandable that, you know, if someone raises their voice that you may feel a little fearful. It may be yeah. an unpleasant experience. But the emotional reaction is kind of out of proportion with what's happening in the moment. But I'm, I'm wondering that... Often this may happen in something where, for instance, if your partner comes towards you to give you a reassuring hug, there may be circumstances where something that seems to be something good happening, something nice happening, is mm. responded to in, I don't know, an experience of fear, for instance, or an experience of anger. Yeah. That's kind of the same thing happening, isn't it? It is, it is. Another example of this, the same thing is that somebody gives you a compliment or, or even notices something really good about you, and then you feel extremely ashamed right away and want to disappear from the situation. Like we have different emotions. What's likely to have been a situation that would lead to that? You know, a historical memory or event that's happened that is going to end up with a person finding it difficult to hear a compliment for example as you've said it can be a lot of experiences about shame for example like being bullied or being criticized a lot or never feeling valuable or worthy as yourself like you feel like the 
like there's something fundamentally wrong with you and who you are and that and then other people saying something positive to you may trigger that feeling like feeling like you're almost like you've misled them or it's dangerous like somebody just some somebody looking at you or trying to give you some kind of positive feedback can you leave you to that old feeling of this is not true because I, I i i i'm not good i'm worthless can these types of experience kind of start to dominate our lives in the way that we are you know kind of happen repetitively yeah i think they do i think a lot of the things we do are because of these feelings i think we we use a lot of our energy to try to avoid painful feelings and we well we like i said we seek more of the good and less of the bad and i think a lot of the ways we live our lives is in accordance with our own experiences in a way and emotions like uh, for example trying to achieve things trying to gain status in order to compensate for a feeling of not feeling good enough or we try to be kind to everyone and do a lot of things for everybody all the time and help everyone and never be angry at anyone because we want to make sure that we feel loved and that we never get left behind. So we do a lot of these things. A lot of our lives is driven in a way by these emotions, both the good emotions and the painful emotions in a way. So how can we, if you want, get past these emotional experiences that are painful and keep happening in one minute axel how do we get past it <laughs> in one minute i hear that this is an entire episode this isn't this is a podcast series actually lou yeah but um <laughs> <laughs> the first thing is getting to notice that this is happening like hmm i seem to get into this state again and again and again and again where i feel something that is disproportionate to what is happening and then is to try to investigate this. Be a little bit curious about it because usually we're we're quite like I don't want to feel this way. I shouldn't be feeling that way. That is the, like the most common inner dialogue going on. But try to be curious about it. This is something important. It tells you something about who you are and what you've experienced. So try to investigate it. This is most easy to do with another person, but you can also write about it. And try to like see, are there other emotions here than what I'm feeling on the surface level? Like, for instance, are there primary emotions instead of secondary emotions? And a good way to approach that is what do I need at a deep level when I'm feeling like this? What do I really need for my partner? What would I have needed at work? What do I really long for? And try to write from there. And then you can try to investigate, like, do I have memories like explicit memories of feeling like this and notice what's happening in your body as you said put words so you and that's the beautiful thing like uh, with when we're working with emotions and emotion focused therapy that old painful feelings can actually be changed you can change emotions with emotions so when we activate these emotions and we, we have the we're sort of like making use of the same principles that made it there in the first place that when when we experience something emotional the information gets stored so when we feel this emotion again and we get new emotional experience that gets stored as well so like for example 
really showing your partner how scared you are of not feeling valuable and then feeling valued by your partner is a corrective experience in a way it gets you a new emotional experience and actually changes your emotion for later as well. Axel, through this series, I always end up, at the end of most episodes, I always end up with a sense of hopefulness about the possibilities of being able to change experience, emotional experience. And once again, you've given that to me again, Axel, so thank you. It was my pleasure. Good to be of help. (laughs) (laughs) And thank you for being part of this series. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure to speak to you. Axel Ingersinding, who's a psychologist and director of the Institute of Psychological Counseling in Oslo in Norway and an emotion-focused therapy supervisor and facilitator. And if you'd like to find out more about Axel and the books that Axel has written, if you can read in Norwegian, please go to the website, emotionfocus.com. And also there you will find information about all the other episodes in this series. And don't forget to share amongst your family, your friends, your colleagues, anyone that you think might be interested in finding out more about emotions. <laughs>